Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and it's great to be with you today. We have two stories for you today. One, bread, and two, that Iowa town. Today's short story, Bread, by Ellis Parker Butler, is a selection from the 1917 book Prairie Gold. We have featured a story titled Prairie Gold, Some Iowa Memories, two years ago, and it continues to be one of our most popular stories, so I thought it might be a good time to offer another. What made this book Prairie Gold so unique was that when America entered World War I on April 4, 1917, a lot of Midwestern boys signed up, and other people of Iowa thought it might be good if they could take a book along with them which would remind them of what they had left behind. So they put out the word for all interested writers in Iowa to contribute, and they did, in large numbers, and this is one of those contributions. And now Bread, by Ellis Parker Butler. They came to Iowa in a prairie schooner with a rounded canvas top, and where the canvas was brought together at the rear of the wagon, it left a little window above the tailboard. On the floor of the wagon was a heap of hay and an old quilt out of which the matted cotton protruded. And on this, Martha and Eben used to sit, looking out of the window. Martha was a little over two years old, and Eben was four. They crossed the Mississippi at Muscatine on the ferry. It was about noon, and old Hodges, the crew of the ferry, who was as crooked as the branches of an English oak, because the huge branch of an English oak had fallen on him when he was young, took his dinner from his tin pail. He looked up and saw the two eager little faces. "'Want a bite to eat?' he asked, and he peeled apart two thick slices of bread, thickly buttered, and handed them up to the two youngsters. This, a slice of Mrs. Hodge's good wheat bread, was Martha's welcome to Iowa. The butter was as fragrant as a flower, and the bread was moist and succulent, delicious to the touch and the taste. Martha ate it all, even to the last crumb of crust, and, although she did not know it, the gift, the acceptance, and the eating was a sacrament the welcome of Bountiful Iowa. As the prairie schooner rolled its slow way inward into the state, there were more slices of bread. The father stopped the weary horses at many houses, shacks, and dugouts, and always there was a woman to come to the wagon with a slice of bread for Martha and one for Eben, for that was the Iowa way. Sometimes the bread was buttered, sometimes it was spread with jelly, sometimes it was just bread alone, but it was all good bread. There were days at a time, after they reached the new home, when there was nothing to eat but bread, but there was always that. The neighbors did not wait to be asked to lend. They brought flour unasked, and Martha's mother kneaded it and set it to rise and baked it. Then the harvest began to come in uninterrupted successions of wealth, and the dugout became a house, and barns arose, and a school was built, and Martha and Eben went along the dusty, unfenced road, barefooted, happy, well-fed, or in winter, leaped through the snowdrifts. In their well-filled lunch pail there was always plenty and always bread. In time Martha taught school, now in one district and now in another, and everywhere. Wherever she boarded, there was good wheat bread and plenty of it. She remembered the boarding places by their bread. Some had bread as good as her mother's, some had bread not as good. During her first vacation, her mother taught her to make bread. Her very first baking was a success. John Cartwright, coming to the kitchen door just as she was drawing the black bread pan from the oven on that hot July day, 
saw her eyes sparkle with triumph as she saw the rich brown loaves. "'Isn't it beautiful? It's my first bread, John,' she said, as she stood, flushed and triumphant. "'That yeah, smells like mother's,' he said. "'But she don't seem to get her in so nice and brown.' "'I guess Martha is a natural bread maker,' said her mother proudly. "'Some is, and some ain't. "'Always good bread and plenty of it. "'That was Iowa. "'And it was of Martha's bread they partook around the kitchen table the next year. "'Eben and John, Martha and her father and mother, "'just before the two young men drove to the county seat to enlist. "'I guess we won't get bread like this in the Army,' John said. "'And he was right. "'When I'm chawing this sow belly and hardtack,' Eben wrote, "'I wish I had some of that bread of yours, Marth. "'Guess this war won't last long, "'and the minute it is over "'you'll see me skedaddling home for some of your bread. "'Tell Ma I'm well, and... "'They brought his body home "'because he was not killed outright, "'but lived almost two weeks in the hospital "'at St. Louis after he was wounded. "'Martha scraped the dough from her fingers "'to go to the door "'when her father drove up with the precious, "'lifeless form. "'That day... Her bread was not as good as usual. Martha and John were married the next month he came back from the war, and the bread that was eaten at the wedding dinner was Martha's own baking. The bread that was eaten by those who came to prepare her mother for the grave and by those who came, a year later, to lay away her father was Martha's. Once, twice, three times, four times, Martha did a double baking to last over so that there might be bread in the house while the babies were being born. Every week, except those four weeks, she baked bread. In succession, the small boys and girls of her own began coming to the kitchen door pleading, Ma, can I have a piece of bread and butter? Always they might. There was always plenty of bread. It was Iowa. In time, Martha became something of a fanatic about flour. One kind was the best flour in the world. She would have no other. Once, when John brought back another brand, she sent him back to town with it. Her bread was so well known that the flour dealer in town was wont to say, This is the kind Miss Cartwright uses. I guess I can't say no more than that. Eight times in twenty years she won the blue ribbon at the county fair for her loaves. The twelve other times John swore the judges were prejudiced. It ain't the flour, that I do know, Martha would answer. Presently there were children of her children coming on Sunday to spend the day with the old folks, and there was always enough bread for all. Sometime in the afternoon the big loaf would be taken out of the discarded tin boiler that served as a bread box, and the children would have a piece, huge slices of bread, limber in the hand, spread with brown sugar, or jelly, or honey, or dripping with jam. Then, one Sunday, young John's wife brought a loaf of her own bread to show Martha. They battled pleasantly for two hours over the merits of two brands of flour, comparing the bread. But Martha would no more have given up her own brand than she would have deserted the Methodist church to become a Mohammedan. Then came a time when John had difficulty in holding his pipe in his mouth because his pipe tooth was gone. He no longer ate the crusts of Martha's bread except when he dipped them in his coffee. There was a strong young girl to do the housework, but Martha still made the bread. "'just such beautiful, richly brown, fragrant bread "'as she had made in her younger days. "'There had never been a week without the good bread, "'for this was Iowa. "'One day, as she was kneading the dough, "'she stopped suddenly and put her hand to her side, "'under her heart. "'She had to wait several minutes "'before she could go on with the kneading. 
Then she shaped the bread into loaves and put it in the pan and put the pan in the oven. She went out on the porch where John was sitting and talked about the weather and then of a grandson, Horace, who was the first to enlist for the great war that was racking the world. She mentioned the poor Belgians and us so comfortable here and all, she said. When I think of them not having enough bread to eat, "'Well, I warrant they never did have bread like yours to eat, Ma,' said John. "'She rocked slowly, happy and proud, that her man thought that. "'And then she went in to take the fresh loaves from the oven. "'They were crisp and golden brown as always, "'great, plump, nourishing loaves of good wheat bread. "'She carried the pan to the table. "'Bertha,' she said, "'I'll let you put the bread away.' "'I guess I'll go up and lie down a while. "'I don't feel quite well.' "'She stopped at the foot of the stairs "'to tell John she was going up "'that she did not feel very well. "'If I don't come down to supper,' she said, "'you can have Bertha cut a loaf of the fresh bread. "'But you'd better not eat too much of it, John. "'It don't always agree with you. "'There's plenty of other loaf left.' "'She did not come down again, "'not Martha herself.' She did not mourn because she could not come down again. She had lived her life, and it had been a good life, happy, well-nourished, satisfying as her own bread had been. And so when they came back from leaving Martha beside the brother who had died so many years before, the last loaf of her last baking was cut and eaten around the kitchen table. The youngsters biting eagerly into the thick slices, the elders tasting with thoughts not on the bread at all, and old John, crumbling the bread in his fingers, and thinking of long past years. We'll return with our second story right after these sponsor messages. Right after these sponsor messages. And now, That Iowa Town by Oni Fred Sweet. According to the popular songs, we're apt to get the impression that the only section of the country where there is moonlight and a waiting sweetheart and a home worth longing for is down in Dixie. Judging from the movies, a plot to appeal must have a mountain or a desert setting of the West. Fictionists, so many of them, seem to think they must locate their heroines on Fifth Avenue and their heroes at sea. But could I write songs or direct cinema dramas or pen novels, I'd get my inspiration from that Iowa town. Did you ever drive in from an Iowa farm to a Fourth of July celebration? A few years back, the land wasn't worth quite so much an acre. The sloughs hadn't been tiled yet, and the country hadn't discovered what a limited section of real good cornland there was after all. But she was Iowa then. Remember how the hot sun dawned early to shimmer across the knee-high fields and blaze against the side of the big red barn? How the shadows of the willow windbreaks shortened, and the fan on top of the tall windmill faintly creaked? The hired man had decorated his buggy whip with a tiny ribbon of red, white, and blue. Buggy whip? Sound queer now? Well, there were only three automobiles in the county then, and they were the feature of the morning parade. Remember how the two blocks of Main Street were draped with bunting and flags, and the courthouse lawn was dotted with white dresses? Well, anyhow, you remember the girls with parasols who represented the states, and the float bearing the goddess of liberty. And then the storm came in the middle of the afternoon. The lightning and the thunder and the bunting with the red, white, and blue somewhat streaked together but still fluttering. And just before sunset, you remember, it brightened up again, 
and out past the low-roofed depot and the tall grain elevator, you could see the streak of blue and the play of the departing sun against the spent clouds. Nowhere else, above no other town, could clouds pile just like that. You remember that morning once a year when the lilacs had just turned purple out by the front gate and the dew was still wet on the green grass, the faint strains of band music drifting out above the maples of the town, and flags hanging out on the porches. Decoration Day! How we used to hunt through the freshly awakened woods north of town for the rarest wildflowers. Tender petal bloodroots there were in plenty, and cowslips down by the spring, and honeysuckles on the creek bank those late May days. But the lady slippers and the jack in the pulpits, one had to know the hidden recesses where they grew. Withered they became before the hot sun sank, sending rays from the west that made the tombstones gleam like gold. Somehow, on those days, the sky seemed a bluer blue when the words of the speaker at the Monument of the Unknown Dead were carried off by the faint breeze that muffled, too, the song of the quartet and the music of the band. But close in your ears were the chirps of the insects and the bluegrass and the robins that hopped about in the branches of the evergreens. We had our quota of Civil War veterans in that Iowa town. We had our company that went down to Chickamauga in 98. And now, well, you know what to expect from the youth of that sort of a community. Prosperity can't rob a place like that of its pioneer virtues. That Iowa town is an American town, and it simply wouldn't fit into the German system at all. There's nothing old world about it. The present generation may have it easier than their fathers did. They may ride in automobiles instead of lumber wagons. They may wear pinch black coats and long beak caps instead of overalls and straw hats. But they've inherited something beside material wealth. We who owned none of its surrounding acres when they were cheap and find them now so out of reach are yet rich, fabulously rich in inheritance. The last I heard from that Iowa town, its youth was donning khaki for the purpose of helping to keep the Kaiser on the other side of the sea. But it was of the town we used to know that I was speaking. Changed? We must realize that. It was the sort that improves rather than grows. But we remember the place as it was before the blacksmith shop was turned into a garage and before the harness shop was given an electric lighted front and transformed into a movie. I guess the new generation has long since passed up the old opera house above the drugstore for the rejuvenated harness shop and the actors that come by express in canned celluloid. But at county fair time, you remember, the Cora Warner Comedy Company used to come for, for a week's engagement. Cora Warner, noticeably wrinkled as she walked through the park from the hotel, down in a blonde wig that enabled her to play sobret parts of the old school. And then there were the Beach and Bowers minstrels with their band that swung breezily up Main Street to form a circle on the bank corner and lift the whole center of the town out of the commonplace by the blare of trombones and the tenderness of clarinets. Do you remember how we Boy Scouts, who didn't know we were Boy Scouts, used to clamor for the front row of kitchen chairs after peddling bills for the Octoroon, or Nevada and the Lost Mine? Oh, well, we're uninteresting old-timers now. And it used to be that I knew everyone in town. Even the transient baker whose family had no garden and chickens, but lived up over the furniture store and the temporary telephone man who sat out in front of the hotel evenings with the pale-faced traveling man. That hotel, haunted with an atmosphere that was brought in from the outside world. Remember how you used to walk past it with awe, 
the hot sun on the plank sidewalk burning your bare feet, and your eyes wistful as you heard the bus man on the steps call a train. And the time came when we took the train ourselves. And when we came back, the town was still there, but the wondrous age when all life is roseate belonged to us no longer. And yet that town, to me, will always be as it was in those days when the world was giving me its first pink-tinted impressions. And when my tussle with the world as it really is comes to a close, I want to go back there and take my last long sleep beneath one of those evergreens on the hillside where I know the robins hop along the branches. I know how each season's change comes there, the white drifts, the dew on the bluegrass, the rustling of crimson leaves. I'll know that off on the prairies beyond, the cornfields will still wave green in summer, and that from back across the creek, over in the schoolyard, there will float the old hushed echo of youth at play. Thanks for joining us today for a little prairie gold. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We love reviews, and we've had a few recent ones I'd like to share with you. The first one, five stars. King Solomon's Mines. What a fabulous story. The narrator is wonderful. I've listened to 1001 Ghost Stories, too, which I really love. Thank you for such great works. Claire Hahn, Placentia, California. And Claire, King Solomon's Tales were included in our 1001 Stories for the Road, along with a lot of other great stories. And thank you for remembering that one. We appreciate it. And this one, my favorite podcast, five stars. These stories are amazing and narrated beautifully. Thank you so much, John. This podcast is truly a gift. Down from a Kraken Ninja Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, bookmarked. Wonderful stories. Perfect delivery. That one from Verona One, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one. This one is loaded with emojis. Five stars. All kinds of emojis. All of them, most of them smiling. And it does say, I love it. And that was Apple Podcast U.S. And this one, Jack London, five stars. Really enjoy the Jack London stories. Sadly, he's somewhat forgotten in today's climate. That one from J-Bone72, Apple Podcast U.S. And this one, great stories. Five stars. The reader makes each story enjoyable. That one from TBA2022, Apple Podcast U.S. And this one, good stories. Four stars. But he reads too fast. That one from Fun1894, Apple Podcast. Thank you, Fun1894. I hope you find a slow one. And this one, five stars, Garm. Great dog story. I love this podcast. Down from Market Pop, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you all so much for taking the time to send these reviews. I know they take a little time to do, and we appreciate them very, very, very much. And they help new listeners find us. And it tells us a little bit about you and where you're from and why you like our stories. That we enjoy very, very much. Everyone take care. Stay safe. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I had a little bout with pneumonia. And we are now on the good side. So we'll only be getting better as we go forward. Everyone take care. Stay safe. And we'll be back soon.